Hey, Charlie, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, George. How are you? Yes, I'm very well. Got my cup of tea. I'm sat here. Um, it's very warm. It's been very warm this week. Mm. We've we've had the <laughs> we had the windows open all night in the flat, to try and get cool air in. But I've had to shut them to try and get rid of any traffic noise. So I'm sort of <laughs> worried that by the end of recording, I'm going to be sitting in a little sauna. Yeah. <laughs> This is like some sort of sweat treatment, the Archers yeah. and Tea episode. I know exactly what you mean. Welcome, everybody, to Archers and Tea. This is the podcast where George and I discuss the latest episodes of The Archers, the BBC Radio 4 rural soap drama. So we absolutely love The Archers and always have done, since we started listening anyway. And uh, we would normally meet up and talk about it, but during these strange circumstances, we've not been able to. So we decided to record our conversations and let you tune in to our weird and wonderful witterings. So do grab a cup of tea and some biscuits. I've got rich teas, George. Oh, very good. Mm, a classic. I'm sans, sans biscuits this week. But, uh, Interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've just had my toast. So it feels a little bit early for biscuits, but I've, I've um, got my cup of tea ready to go. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I can, do you know, I can take toast as a, as a kind of biscuit. It works. Yeah. Okay, for me. it's got that sort of crisp texture. Um, I had a bit of honey on it as well, so it's sweet, you know. It? There yeah. you go, there you go. And you know what? We're not, we're very inclusive on Arches and Tea. We're not fascist about this. No, no. I mean, I've got, so it's my, it's my birthday tomorrow. I know. And so I think there might be some cake heading my way tomorrow. So I sort of feel like, you know, don't want to overdo it on the biscuits today so I can make, make the most of the cake opportunities tomorrow. So I'll be having, I'll be having a, a slice of cake and tea at some point tomorrow in uh, Arches and Tea. Honor. Well, maybe the uh, maybe the post fairy will be bringing you some biscuits, George. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> mm. Okay, so welcome everybody to Archers and Tea. Um, the news this week is that the Archers and the people that make the Archers um, have thrown out their scripts and started again. So we were all wondering how they were going to do it and bring back a sort of more in real life timeline. And they're making it completely up to date with the goings on. Uh, apparently they binned 12 scripts and five weeks of storyline to bring back the show. Blimey. I have a quote here from Jeremy Howe, uh, who is the editor, I believe, of The Archers. Um, we had to start from scratch and we had to figure out a new way to make The Archers so that everything, absolutely everything, could be done remotely. I'm fascinated. I'm really interested to see. They had, there was a little um, snippet, I think. And I think we're going to get some more kind of thoughts and kind of inner monologues mm. in the new episode it sounds like yes i heard a, i heard a sort of inner monologues from someone like josh and then david mm. about each other and their relationship which yeah. i think is really interesting really interesting i've seen photos of um ben norris who the actor who plays ben um mm. recording from home sort of underneath bed sheets and things to try and uh, try and keep keep the sound as true as possible um so yeah i'm really interested i mean it, it must be heartbreaking to throw out all those scripts bless them um you know having clearly worked on them um so hard so yeah it'd be uh, fascinating to see what they do with it and uh, mm. looking forward to it and a sort of another another new thing for us to listen to with regards to the archers you know we've had our uh, you know our real episodes well not and then we've had our revisited episodes and now we've got kind of something slightly different as well yeah i'm really looking forward to that and that returns on monday on the 25th indeed look forward to it so let's start with this week's Archers episodes. And on Sunday, we had the Lower Loxley Ball, which was the last night of 2001. Oh, I mean, I just thought... Oh. So the one thing that came to me listening to this was the life of it. 
They're like it was absolutely buzzing. The music in the background, and there were so many characters in such good spirits. I mean, there's all sorts going on. Um, but yeah, my my buzzword from this was life. I thought it was fantastic. Really interesting. Oh yeah, I think you've got it spot on there, George. It really did feel like the party you wanted to be at, and as well, the party at the ball seemed pretty lively. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't wouldn't mind hearing a little bit more of that. Mm. Something I really enjoyed was hearing Nigel Pargeter. Yes. So I'd never I'd never heard his character speak other than actually. So did you know he returned to the Archers after his character's death when he was a member of the All Star Jury for Helen's trial? Was he? Yeah, so the actor Graham Seed came back for the for the jury. So technically I had heard his voice, but I didn't know then that he played Nigel. Did he put on a funny voice for it? Or I mean uh, <laughs> I the Archer's so. characters would have been you know, loyal Archer's listeners would have been very confused to suddenly hear Nigel Pargeter's voice in the jury. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think it was nice for some people. I know I wonder whether he his voice his voice in this I don't know what he sounds like naturally, the the actor, but his voice is is particularly posh. Um, yes, he sounds like a jolly good chap, doesn't he? But mm. but like lovely, he sounds lovely. I can kind of, I don't know, I can, you know, imagine why Elizabeth loved him so much. Yeah, he really does sound like the life and soul of the party. Mm. And it was just brilliant to be able to put the voice to the name. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. It was, it was, that was fab. We started off, um, um, hang on, who's at home? Phil and Jill are at home. Yeah, Phil and Jill are at home. Yes. Apparently they often see New Year in at Brookfield. They're looking after baby Pip. Yes, and lovely. And Ruth is pregnant with Josh, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, 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 because there's a little mention of that later on. And we followed Ruth and David to the Lower Loxley Ball, where we actually also meet another character that I hadn't heard before, Jack Woolley. Yes, absolutely. Well, again, a, a much, you know, much-loved character that everyone, everyone I know that listens to the art just talks about as being, you know, a car- you know, a, a real kind of stalwart of the of the archers. It was great to hear his voice. Mm, I learned quite a bit about him, which we'll, we can talk about him later because he comes up in another episode this week. Mm. But um, he absolutely was a, a massive figure in Ambridge for the village, as well as for the listeners and the soap drama. Um, mm. I, I said last week that I thought he might be the father of Tony, but I was wrong there. He wasn't Tony's father, but he was very much beloved by all of Peggy's children. They really liked him. Um, yes. And so he was he was Peggy's second husband, and this was their 11th wedding anniversary. Oh, that's very, mm. yeah. Was it, is it, was it the New Year's Day was their wedding anniversary? So were they celebrating the wedding anniversary after midnight, or was it New Year's Eve? I couldn't quite work that one out. Oh, yeah, um, because everyone sort of cheered after after the gongs went, didn't they? Yeah. So maybe it was New Year's Day. I think that's quite yeah, lovely. Maybe it was a New Year's Day wedding. Yeah, um, but then the other—I mean, the other thing we've got going on here. I mean, we, oh. you know, we listened to it last week—the kind of culmination of um, Siobhan and Brian. Um, but here we sort of see them in the midst of it, and it was all a bit. Mm. Oh, how do you feel about it? <laughs> Squeamish. Oh, squeamish yeah. is the word. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, we 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 obviously shot back a little further in time, and so you're right. The affair was underway, and I. Uh, Oh, it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know, he, he Siobhan asks Brian for a dance and off they go. And then, you know, it, at the ball, potentially in view of other people, yeah. Brian's whispering not-so-sweet nothings to her. Yeah. Oh, there's something about the... She's bought him a present and she's wearing it. Oh, oh no, God! Yeah. And poor Jennifer, bless her, is kind of... 
I don't know, just wants to go and dance with her husband. Yeah, I found really interesting this episode that she says to David, who she's dancing with, and David's keeps stepping on her toes, which I really like. <laughs> which is very, <laughs> very sweet. There's a, there's a, they have a line as well, don't they, in it, where he says something about, oh, shouldn't we stepping on each other's toes or something, like, you know, in the metaphorical <laughs> sense, <laughs> and then probably steps on Jennifer's toes, which I quite, you know, <laughs> nice little bit of writing there. Oh, lovely writing. But also Jennifer says, oh, I'm a little bit annoyed with Siobhan. And you're like, oh, Jennifer, have you ever guessed anything? But she hasn't. She just says, I'm annoyed that, you know, she's dancing with Brian. I haven't even danced him with, with him yeah. yet. And David says, well, that's Siobhan for you. So apparently, mm. I was reading about it. Siobhan was one of the most controversial characters of Ambridge in those days and was slightly dubbed mm. the Scarlet Woman. Mm. You know, as a modern feminist, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I, um, mm. I'm interested because obviously I wasn't listening at the time. And so she, yeah, she had a bit of a... She was a very prominent character, at least. And I thought right, David okay. saying that Siobhan for you was probably sort of an indication of that. Yes, yeah, it's, like, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you don't, we don't know. I, I, I wasn't listening at the time, so I don't know what her behaviour was like, what she actually did. But I hope that's not just because she you know, clearly is, well, a lot of people saying the belle of the ball and, you know, is standing mm. out with, you know, she's obviously got this fantastic dress on and, and is looking beautiful. Um, mm. So... Yeah, yes, she's clearly, yeah, a, you know, a person that everybody knows around the village. That's true. But actually, you know, the women are pretty nice. Like Ruth's just like, oh, she looks beautiful. And they're very yeah. supportive of her. And actually, that sort of brings me on because, so Ruth ends up chatting. We meet Siobhan's husband. So I, we were right. She was married when she was having this affair with Brian. And the baby is not his, um, the, the husband's. So she's married to Tim, an army man. Right. And he's talking to Ruth and Ruth is slightly complaining because she's not feeling particularly beautiful being pregnant. Um, and actually, Tim says, you know, no, I, th- I don't think women are women never are never more beautiful than when they are pregnant. Mm. And then everyone keeps commenting about how beautiful Siobhan looks. And I wondered whether it was a bit of um, foreshadowing. You know, because they keep talking about how beautiful she is. And then Tim says women are at their most beautiful when they're pregnant. And I wondered, is she pregnant now? Oh, interesting. Interesting. I'm going I'm I'm um I'm going back through my notes to try and work out when was the Brian confessing episode? Was that about nine months after this? I don't know. Who knows? Interesting. Interesting theory though. I like that. I like that. But either way, either way, Tim doesn't seem any the wiser does he no absolutely yeah no he's he's again again sort of um sounds like a a friendly character and you know he's saying saying all the right things to ruth bless her because um you know i'm I'm sure he's absolutely right i'm sure ruth does look beautiful um when she's pregnant but uh i can imagine it must be tough to feel that way when you've got somebody like siobhan sort of going around the around the dance floor yeah i feel like she might be wafting and mm. I've never been pregnant, but uh, yes, I can imagine it's. It can be a little. It can feel. You can one could feel a little cumbersome. Yes, indeed. Despite yes. the miracle of life, you know, sometimes you just want a party. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other side of things, we actually do hear this much younger Ed Grundy. He's seventeen. Seventeen. I know. I, I was kind of when he started speaking. I I was thinking, oh God, he sounds like a grumpy teenager and then says the fact that he's 17 I thought wow that makes sense I thought blimey yeah 17 he was quite a grumpy teenager wasn't he I mean he's 
I remember talking to my auntie and I think it was I think it was my auntie about this. She's she's told me she was like, oh, Ed Grundy used to be the bad one. And Ed Grundy was the difficult one. And I yeah. used to be like, I said, well, I can't really imagine that now, considering how we've been listening to what for the last couple of years. Mm. But now I'm getting that um, I'm getting that sort of insight. Now you can hear he's quite bullshy and grumpy and mm. and a bit well naughty, it sounds like. Mm. Um, and he he's not pleased about spending his New Year's Eve in the bowl. No. And especially having to watch Emma, who's clearly got a got a thing for at this point, and uh, and Will kissing, um, mm. and it's particularly with his dad taking the mick out of him, you know, uh, sort of getting in with everybody, saying, "Oh yeah, 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 coming up for air," all this sort of um, kind of mockery, and yeah, Ed's not on board with that at all. No, I so I had a I had a little moment within this, um, which is which is kind of a tiny moment to pick apart, but. Um, uh, Eddie sort of says to Ed, well, why don't you go and chat to your granddad or something? And, mm. and Ed's, you know, being a 17-year-old sort of says, oh, no, he's boring. You know, why would I want to do that? I, I can't remember exactly what he says. Um, and I was just thinking, it's one of those moments as a, as a teenager, you, I don't know, it's not particularly cool to go and chat to your parents or your grandparents, but possibly looking back, and especially now that Joe has passed away, and, and I'm sure that Ed wouldn't look back at this moment in particular, um, but it's a shame that, you know, if he had gone over and spent the evening mm. with Joe and they talked all the evening, he might have looked back on that very fondly. Um, yeah. I don't know. It just it was a bit of a funny. So at the end of this episode, I immediately got, got the, picked up the phone and rang my grandma um, just because oh. I sort of thought, I don't know, just kind of, I don't know, just, just made me think for a moment. Yeah. Well, I was, um, I remember being about 14 and mm. uh, there was a New Year's Eve party. My friend family were having a big party where lots of people's parents and children were invited you know so oh, that's brave. basically yeah, if good. you were a young yeah and if you were a teenager you could have alco pops which was very exciting and all my new exciting friends were going to be there and it was all very exciting and I couldn't go because my family insisted we go to my dad's mum's for New Year's Eve and I was oh. I was furious about it and well not furious I was just distraught actually I was very sad and really wished I was there and I felt like I missed out but yeah. actually you're right I, I I miss my grandma much more than I miss that party yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah maybe anyone th- wondering whether they've what they should do with a spare half an hour today maybe there's somebody yeah. you can ring yeah absolutely um but yeah but interesting to, and, and like you say that that bull party sounded absolutely cracking it was a buzzing mm-hmm. wasn't it? um yeah. but not somewhere that ed particularly wanted to be unfortunately well yeah so then we went on to on to mondays and, and we sort of haven't haven't said but the, the all these week's episodes are kind of um events in the ambridge calendar um which which is, is great actually it's really lovely it's quite it's quite nice to hear them uh, quite a few of the episodes sound like they're in the middle of a storyline um, mm. We sort of talked about it last week where, you know, they were in the middle of storylines rather than the culmination of a storyline. And this this felt even more so. There's nothing, sometimes there's nothing even particularly, in inverted commas, exciting that happens. Um, and I really enjoyed listening to that. And listening to the Flower and Produce show was fantastic. It was really lovely. It was kind of mm. proper, normal Ambridge life. I was thinking of you. I thought, oh, George will like this one. Just another, <laughs> <laughs> a little slice of country predictable. life. Predictable, yeah. <laughs> But I was um, I was walking in the sun in the park and I did feel that I was there oh, and it was lovely. lovely. Mm. Mm. But you forget how dramatic the flower and produce. Oh yes, absolutely. No, when I say there's not excitement, it, you know, absolutely proper drama. 
<laughs> drama, drama, drama. And so this year is 2008. It's not that long ago, or at least no. I, I imagine that it's not. I think I was actually just left school, but <laughs> still, it feels like it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the main tables this year uh, that they're sort of discussing are the photography table and the cakes table. Yeah. So Phil is also still alive and has entered the photography competition with pictures of the stars, I think. And uh, and Linda has entered with pictures of Ambridge life, but gets disqualified. Yes, I know. <laughs> oh, she's she's fuming, isn't she? Well, firstly, because because she says, you know, what what do what, what do Phil's pictures of stars have to do with the village, <laughs> um, which is great. Um, but yes, it, it they've sort of we've entered a digital age of photography, um, mm. and Linda seems to have been uh, enhancing her images on Photoshop. <gasps> I know, very annoyed with um I think it's Neil and uh, he gets the brunt of her her ire but it is it's really it's really funny apparently um there I read that there is a theme of people being disqualified from the flower and produce show for not understanding the rules it's a long-standing theme oh great Jim once got disqualified for using the wrong kind of twine to tie up his spring onions or something lovely brilliant (laughs) Excellent. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we, I love the Archers for this because you've got huge, intense, really dramatic, really serious storylines like modern slavery. And then you also have the Flower and Produce show. And I, I think it's yeah. important that there are all these different elements. I think it really reminded me this episode, the, the digital camera thing, because around this time I had a digital camera and it was the thing to have. It's take it with me out, you know, if I went to... um to the club yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something and my favorite thing was I would take pictures like I wouldn't even look at the the like lens or the or the little screen I would just hold my camera up and take pictures of people in a candid fashion and mm. um back then as we know because we talked about it when we made a theater show called grown-ups back then taking a picture of yourself was the most uncool thing you could do because if you took a selfie it implied that nobody really wanted to take a picture of you so you weren't really in the gang Mm. yeah yeah that's true yeah absolutely i just just, Mm. yeah it just was not a thing was it you just Mm -hmm. never took a photo of yourself we um a friend of mine from school posted some photos of our our post gcse's holiday the other day um which was we went we went down to cornwall um i don't know whether this was a thing for you but but at our school all the cool kids um who'd finished their GCSEs or went on holiday to Newquay and they go to Newquay and there was like, a, you know, they kind of sneak into bars that they could get into underage and things like that. Yeah. Um, we went, uh, we weren't cool enough for Newquay. So we went to Perrinporth down the road and stayed in a youth hostel, um, <laughs> which was, which was a brilliant, brilliant, uh, brilliant holiday in itself. Um, but possibly, um, I'm not sure the, uh, rugby team would necessarily have found it as fun as we did um but but looking back at these photos it was it was it was really you know it's fantastic memories and uh, a lot a lot of hair on display a lot of hair <laughs> <laughs> well like lockdown hair just like grown. yes indeed very nice very nice um well we then move on to the cake stand mm. where the real drama begins well absolutely because Jill, Jill's come third. She wasn't very happy with her, um, her, Victoria, her Victoria sponge, was she? Mm, no, no. Um, a bit dry. She which, said it was overcooked. 
Well, yes, and that's going by Jill's standards. So I, I, I'll take that with a pinch of salt. And it's, it's, Indeed. it's still come in third place. I don't know how many rented, but I'm, I'd have had a slice, I'm sure. Mm. Um, but first place is this character, Sabrina Thwaite, um, who I sort of had a little, I had a little look into Sabrina Thwaite because um, mm. she sort of mentioned, and, I, and I've kind of like, um, I've heard her name come up and, and never kind of quite put things together. But she's she's obviously quite a, I think in a quite a Siobhan way, quite um, um, sli- slim and attractive, bit of a inverted commas yummy mummy type. Mm. Um, doesn't really look like she's eaten her fair share of fruitcake in in her life. Um, oh, yes, they make a joke about that, don't which they, they mention, don't they? I sort of like, what's that all about? You know, if she can manage to eat the cake. Um, so I think they're slightly mocking her because she's Aww. very attractive, which is a bit of a shame. Um, Not very sisterly. But also, there's suspicion about the cake that she's entered. Oh, I know, because it is fascinating. So Jill's like, oh, I wish I'd entered my harvest fruit cake, but I swapped mm. it for a load of jam jars with Sabrina uh, because I was also entering jam, which then didn't even place. So the whole thing must have felt fruitless. Um, very nice, me. very nice. <laughs> uh, but then they discover that Sabrina has won the cake competition with a fruit cake. Which has got apricots in. I know. And apparently that seems to be the uh, the, the the sign that it's the actually Jill's trademark. Jill, Jill puts apricots in and not many people do. So mm. Sabrina has entered Jill's cake and won the competition. I know. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Yeah, you've got Ruth the sleuth works it all out. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, did you do the icing? No, I hadn't. she hadn't iced it. So because the icing is particularly interesting, they say, which obviously is the key that that's the bit that Sabrina did. Yes. And so you and, and Jennifer is outraged and Jennifer's like, well, we've got to report her. You know, we've got to this. This isn't right. We've got to take it seriously. And then there's this wonderful moment where Jill says, look at her. She's so happy. Oh, it's really lovely, isn't it? And she's yeah. just like, just leave, just leave her to it. She's enjoying it. Yeah. She, and, and, you know, all she possibly really wants is to be part of the village. And, and it may well be that she's slightly excluded for being a sort of, I don't know, a bit too glamorous for Ambridge life. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think it's a really sweet decision from Jill just to kind of leave her to it. Absolutely. And she does this thing which I think is really something we should all probably try and take on. She thinks about why Sabrina might have done it. And Jennifer mm. and Ruth are like, well, she just wanted to win. It's like, but no, why? Why would she do this? Why would she risk everything? Mm. For something like winning a prize, and you're right. She says maybe, maybe she wants to be accepted. Maybe it matters that mm. much to her. Like if she risked, if she, if she, you know, if she did this. She must have really wanted to have been part of the show. And yeah. and I think if we all try and consider people's deeper motives, you know, more emotional motives, sometimes when when people act badly, we can go, oh, maybe they just wanted to fit in, or why were they a bit, why were they a bit mean to me at the party? Or oh, they're probably just actually feeling a bit insecure, and they tried to make a joke and it didn't go down very well. And, you know, you just think we can think better of each other mm. and then it's easier to let it go as Jill does. And you know what? Jill is happy. Jill lets it go yeah. and she's fine. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think you're really, I think you're right. Other than with Philip Moss. I'm not quite sure I'm going to give him uh, a <laughs> out. Um when we come back to present day, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Rob Titchener also not, yeah, 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 yeah. not getting yeah. the benefit of the doubt. But Sabrina, Thwaite, Sabrina Thwaite, absolutely. 
Um, and then other stories, we've got Joe beats Bert to Master Gardener. Which is a long, long-standing rivalry, isn't it? That's uh, mm. Joe, and, Joe and Bert, which is great. Mm. But then the little thing that comes in, which isn't really to do with the, the Flower and Produce show, is that Jennifer gets a call from Alice and she has been at Bestival, but her tent and her stuff got nicked. So she stayed with Chris Carter. Mm, I know it's uh, it's interesting because we've sort of both of these episodes so far this week have been the start of the, the uh, a culmination episode that we heard last week uh, mm. or, or the week before. So um, we've heard Alice and Chris coming back from Las Vegas married, and now we're seeing the very early days of uh, of their relationship. Uh, Jennifer clearly doesn't know anything about it, um, but actually Neil does. So Neil Neil sort of uh, mentions, oh yeah, well they you know they've been interested in each other mm, he lets it slip yeah absolutely um jennifer's a little bit uh, a little bit aghast mm, she's getting a bit nervous isn't she it's nothing mm. serious linda she's off to university in three weeks and then neil says well three weeks is a long time when you're that age and it is mm. do you remember oh yeah oh. a three-week relationship in those days was a, you know that was a that was long term it really was <laughs> i remember if you if you took if you made it to a month you were practically you know an old married couple Oh, yeah, you'd celebrate your month anniversaries, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, that was so cute. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's move on now to Tuesday's episode, which is an episode that I remember hearing at the time. Yes, this absolutely. Is... Again, it's kind of interesting going back to one that we, we've both heard. Mm. And this is the Hunt Ball. Yes, Hunt Ball, um, which I think is, is an annual thing, isn't it? And, and Shula's been organising this one... I remember this being quite a big thing for her. She was definitely kind of a bit nervous about the arrangements. Was it the first one, or she? Oh, I can't remember. She. Yeah, she'd just been made. Uh, she just had of the a hunt. particular Master job. Master of the Hunt. No, was it? Or um, yes, and then so this like was a that. big responsibility she had now. Yes, as a result. I think so. Um, but yes, yeah. This was this was a there was a lot. Yeah, again, a lot going on here. Um, and an interesting episode. It's uh, and we we sort of yeah. I guess interesting listening to this, knowing where it's ending up. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. It certainly is. So we know. So in this episode, at the end of this episode, we could we could sort of go backwards, couldn't we? Um, I think you can, can't we? Because everyone's if everyone's everyone listening knows, to this, they will know. Yes. <laughs> so um, Matt Crawford, nasty Matt Crawford, gets yep. run over, hit by a mm. car at the end of this episode, and so begins a sort of slight murder mystery Agatha Christie style storyline for a couple of weeks. Oh yeah. Yeah, which which ends up taking up quite a lot of time and then there's a big revelation later when it turns out who actually did it. Mm. So first of all, I really enjoy how this episode works. So again, a slight tangent, but basically when when um I'm in a theatre company called Mischief Theatre and we do an improvised comedy show called Mischief Movie Night, where we improvise a movie, a completely made up movie based on your suggestion. And one of the bits of information we ask for to help create this movie is the genre. And one of those genres is murder mystery. So when we get a murder mystery, there are some things that you know you need to kind of tick off if you're going to improvise a murder mystery and how you set it up. And there's this sort of, we know how it sets up. We don't know what we're going to do or anything. It is completely improvised, but you know how to do a murder mystery. And uh, so you basically set up a ton of people with a motive. You set up one person who everybody hates and who is a bit nasty. 
And then we get all those people with a motive to say something incriminating, incriminating like, I'd love to rid the earth of that man, or even as blatant <laughs> as, yeah, if I see him again, I'll kill him. Yeah. Um, and then and then we put all of those people in a slightly sub- suspicious circumstance, if we can. I mean, it's quite hard to improvise this kind of thing. And that's what we have here, don't we? we yeah. Have, we have Justin finds out that Matt's been calling Lillian and something's going on there and they didn't get on before anyway. Because Lillian, Lillian and Matt used to be in a relationship, didn't they? And they've kind of got these little nicknames, Pussycat and Tiger, for each other. Mm. Oh, it's all a bit... Yeah. But they used, you know, they used to be a proper couple and he's now trying to convince her to go back to Costa Rica with her. Um, so, yeah, so Justin knows that he's been bugging Lillian. So mm-hmm. we sort of get his kind of frustration growing and hear that as well which is great yeah you, Lillian herself is being bothered by him mm. and doesn't really know what to do she sounds like she's in two minds you've got Tom is in the pub brooding so Tom lost out on thousands of pounds I mean it is a bit his fault but basically mm. when his family were selling a plot of land to Justin for the housing development that we know a lot about now um, Justin had offered a very large sum of money for the land but Tom was convinced by Matt Crawford that he could play Justin a little bit Mm. and potentially get some more money got a bit greedy and and on Matt Crawford's suggestion uh he he went along with that and then when it all fell through with Matt Crawford he went back to Justin but then Justin said well you've messed me around so Mm. I'm not going to offer as high I'm gonna I'm gonna offer x amount less So Tom was feeling very embarrassed and had lost to the family a certain amount of money. I think it was like £100,000 or something. Blimey, yeah. We've also got Alistair. So uh, Matt Crawford knows about Alistair's gambling addiction and he sort of, uh, I think in the past, has blackmailed Alistair. So, Mm -hmm. and and now he's he's now... At this point, I think he's been spreading rumours about the vet practice. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He says so that again, potentially a, a horse died and it was a, it was as a result of Alistair's veterinary practice, exactly. And so, she, mm. so he's upset about that, but so is Shula. Yeah, absolutely. And she can't find Alistair. And then she leaves and Tom's mm. in the pub and Justin leaves and then Adam leaves yeah. early and takes a car. And he has in recent weeks punched Matt yes um, which which I think at the time we all felt he deserved um he was saying some really horrible kind of homophobic stuff about the fact that Ian and Adam were adopting a child or, mm. or planning to at the time um mm. so yeah punch and I and I can't remember I can't remember what the circumstances were but I remember Ian found out about the punching and was really angry but then kind of found out what the actual reason was for and then I think was suddenly a little bit proud, actually. Um, yes. Because <laughs> he, he probably deserved it. That's it. And I think there was something about potentially defending Lillian's honour a little bit. Mm. But of course, Matt Crawford being Matt Crawford, he just used that rather than going, oh, I've been punched, maybe I've gone too far. He went, brilliant. Yeah. So try adopting a child now that you've yeah. um, you physically abused somebody. Yeah. So he's holding that against them. So lots of people have a motive. And then each one of those people disappear at just the right time. Yeah, so Adam leaves. Adam leaves because he, you know, Ian's working hard, so it's sort of not really much fun for him. So he heads off home. We've got Alistair can't be found. We've got um, Justin going off to go and find Lillian because uh, oh no 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 Justin goes off to find Matt because he's been phoning um, phoning Lillian, um, mm. and also we have Nick finishing her shift at the ball. 
goes completely under the radar for me. Did yeah. not pick up on that one. No, at the time, absolutely. Because also, you don't. We didn't know to be listening out for it at all either. Mm. And it happened a few, a little while before. So she'd, she'd sort of, you know, gone to go and leave, and and Matt had been sort of um, annoying her a bit in the pub anyway, because he was obviously very drunk. And but she, she knows that. Who's who's sick? Is it my my sick? No, who's sick? Yeah, Poppy or yeah. Poppy, yeah, maybe it's Poppy. Um, or is it Mia? Yeah, it might be Mia. I can't remember. One of her daughters is sick on New Year's yes. Eve. So she's got to get home, and um, and yeah, and and we hear, we just hear. Firstly, we hear Matt staggering around the, the road, very drunk, and uh, mm-hmm. and and sort of starting to shout at the car, trying to get it to stop. Um, we hear, and then we hear the aftermath, um, where the car drives away. Whoever it is, mm. checks that Matt presumably is alive and then goes back into the car and drives off. And that's all we hear and that's the end of the episode. So we're left thinking, who on earth was that? Um, and it turns I out know. it was Nick in the end. It was. And this is funny because I remember I remember getting a bit annoyed because I was really hoping for a sort of... Do you remember who shot Phil Mitchell? In the, mm, in the oh, yeah. you know, I was really hoping for something, you know, that built up, build up, and when we get a massive revelation, and I thought maybe the archers had kind of let it go, and I was a bit annoyed, and then, mm. and then Nick ends up going into hospital because she's got sepsis from a cut in her hand, and on her deathbed she sort of grabs Joe, and whispers something into his ear, and at the time I didn't twig at all, but later we find out that she was confessing to Joe before she died, that it was her that had hit Matt Crawford with the car and she'd actually been dealing with quite a lot of guilt. Yeah, really interesting. And then, mm-hmm. and then Joe sort of, I think Joe had a bit of a dilemma as well about whether to tell anyone about it. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm, and it came up It came up again later when Will had the shotgun. He, mm. he assumed Ed would dob him in. And of course, Ed was mm. never going to do that uh, because mm. he'd helped to kind of cover it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I've got... Um, Another thing that Matt Crawford did, so he didn't die, by the way, after yes, being didn't. hit by the car. And then, so what we get later is a, is another culmination of a, of a slightly different storyline where he gets basically in trouble and has to run away. And it is because he is involved in some serious, dodgy business. Actually, yeah. it's, fr- it's fraud. Mm. I looked into this and uh, the Archers once again got praise for a, a public service broadcast storyline. They had actually worked with the other Radio 4 programme, You and Yours, which is the consumer programme, on this uh, this fraud storyline. So Matt Crawford comes back to Ambridge um, and he's trying to get people to invest in a fancy race course in Costa Rica with Melling Equestrian Investments. Mm. And he has this, you know, all these fancy brochures and there are all these very fancy people and they say that the in the brochure it says that there's a, an office in London and it all looks absolutely wonderful and he persuades Auntie Chris to invest some money into this race course and in the end she loses everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was horrible, wasn't it? Mm, it's really, really awful. Apparently it was praised by, the storyline was praised by anti-fraud campaigners for drawing attention to one of the UK's fastest growing crimes. And Wow. Getting generally older people to invest basically their entire pensions into the schemes mm. like this are much more common than we think. Um, and and also, you know, it's not just, it's not obvious. Mm. It's not, oh, it's a race course in Costa Rica. That sounds a bit dodgy. You know, it could be something yeah. absolutely 
ostensibly mm. totally legit um, and look run by what looks like incredible people with mm. glossy brochures with graphs and all of that and so um yeah it was it was quite an interesting storyline and very upsetting and then he's got his own scam because he's back in Ambridge to try and source the best house uh, the best horses for Hugo Melling's racecourse he he does a bit of a switcheroo so he identifies the best horse gives Hugo that price Hugo gives him the money but then he buys the worst horse for a cheaper price and pockets the difference Ah, right. Oh, interesting. I... That's why he specifically is on the run because and eventually has to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, a horrible piece of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not nice, is he? I was glad no. when Matt Crawford left. Yeah, absolutely. He was sort of running. He sort of came back. Came back. I I didn't recognise his voice, obviously, but a lot of people would have done. But he sort of entered, re-entered with a kind of hello, puss cat, and he did. and sort of you know that became a dramatic thing. And I didn't have a clue what it was. Um, but yeah, he sort of hung around for weeks and weeks and weeks, being really annoying and horrible to lots of people, and then eventually went away. So, uh, yes, yeah. good riddance, I see. Good riddance. So, Wednesday's episode was Bonfire Night. Yeah, Bonfire Night. Fantastic. Um, we, we start off, so we, we hear a little bit more in this episode of Jack um, when he's a bit further down the line with his Alzheimer's. Um, mm. We kind of initially hear... Ian's knocking on Peggy's door. And, and I, I think that Ian at this point was kind of helping Peggy a bit mm. because Peggy had been struggling with Jack. Mm. She really didn't want him to have to go into care. She wanted to be able to look after him herself, but w- wasn't becoming less and less able to do so. Um, and I yeah. think Ian had been helping out. Um, mm. So, yeah, he's he's come knocking on the door, seeing how she is. And she's had a bit of a rough night with Jack, unfortunately. Yeah, it sounds like he's had a really difficult one where he's forgotten... He forgot that they had dinner and so mm. he tries to make dinner and, and then he, he doesn't let P- Peggy into the kitchen and she must be so worried for his safety. And she herself had suffered a stroke, I think, a year or so earlier. Mm. So isn't isn't necessarily in the best place herself. Um, this storyline w- with the Alzheimer's had been ticking along for quite a long time, since 2003. Mm. So this episode is 2008 and the first sort of... Uh, indication that he might be having difficulty with his memory was when he was investing in Kenton's Jack's calf once again the Jack's calf oh, yes. <laughs> and he had some confusion with invitations um, mm. and the story ran until his death in 2014 eventually mm. um, Peggy agrees to let him go and stay and be looked after in the laurels where he dies but she apparently mm. visited him really regularly mm. and interestingly so in this episode you're right she's had a really rough night with jack and so she's like well i'm not going to take jack to the bonfire night and to Mm. the fireworks we're going to leave that but by the end of the night he hears the the fireworks and actually really enjoys them and really enjoys looking at the rockets he's a bit further away maybe he's safely in his house and it's a really sweet moment between the two of them and it does remind us that of course there are still moments of sweetness and love amidst the darkness yeah, because you you would you might be a bit nervous actually because the year before in two thousand and seven Jack was actually scared by the fireworks and thought he was mm. back in the war. So I was I was pleased for Peggy that that, that didn't happen again. I think this this episode I, I was a really lovely kind of contrast between the public and the private, um, and I and I really you know I like it when the the arch does that and um, we get the kind of the big public bonfire or the energy that's going on ar- around that, but then you get this little 
snippet of a you know a loving couple that are that have been struggling but end up with a really lovely moment mm, they do oh. and actually um we had a, an email from our silent friend yes thank you very much yes thank you silent friend we talked about jack in the last in last week's episode and he told us that um apparently they did an interview with the actor asking how it was to portray the condition of Alzheimer's, seeing as the actor who played Jack didn't have Alzheimer's. Now, I think now I think that he did develop Alzheimer's. I think the actor who played him, I think, did develop it. Am I, am no. I completely wrong? Um, I read a couple of articles that were, were talking about the fact that it was kind of life, life portraying art. Um, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I'm going to carry on. I'm going to just quickly double check you that. You looked that up for me. I don't <laughs> rubbish um yes but carry on with what our silent friend was saying well apparently they asked they asked the actor at the time who at the time didn't have alzheimer's yes and uh, he said it was an interesting acting challenge because they would give him the whole script of what his character was saying and then chunks every other word and then every three words to you know as the storyline progressed would be lined through in red so he would slowly lose chunks of what he was trying to say and be left with broken sentences so he could see what he what Jack wanted to say, but they would cross out the words that he couldn't say in red. So then the the sentences and the speech would become really disjointed. And I and uh, it's also our silent in our silent friend's memory that he was that he said it was hard at the finish of a day's recording to go home and talk normally after deliberately mm. talking in that slightly more jerky rhythm of speech. And I think that is absolutely incredible from the writers. They've they've given the actor such a tool. They've said, look, here's what you want to say and what the meaning mm. is, but you can't remember all the words. And it stops the acting and the writing becoming sort of generic memory loss yeah. acting of, yeah. of a disjointed thing. Because, of course, I'm sure, I mean, I absolutely don't know very much at all about Alzheimer's, but I'm sure mm. that there is a lot that people want to be able to say or are trying to mm. say and can't quite get the words out. Um, and as I say, I, I don't know very much about Alzheimer's and dementia at all, um, mm. but I'm sure listening to this story, you know, on the Arches and on Radio 4 helped a lot of people gain a greater understanding and um, yeah. a, another really good storyline from the Arches. Sad storyline, but an important one. Mm. Yeah, it was um, something that my um, my uh, great uncle had Alzheimer's. Oh. Um, it was a, a very, I mean, I was kind of at the age where I would think I was uh, kind of finishing school away at university, so I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't kind of visit him enough to see that kind of gradual decline. But I remember going to visit him in the care home um, after he, you know, been suffering for for a while, um, and you know he was unrecognisable and sort of mm. not quite able to sort of make a connection. Um, mm. my, I went with my granny. I think my granny said that he recognised me. She said that he, you know, he smiled, um, and I couldn't quite recognise it as a smile because it was, it was, I don't know, it was slightly different. But, uh, but yeah, no, she said his face lit up when he saw me. So there's obviously something, you know, something there. But um, yes, it's a horrible, 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 horrible disease. Um, mm. It's dreadful. Um, and yeah, and I think I'm right. Um, so the the actor that played um, Jack Woolley um, was called Arnold Peters, and I think two years after. They started the um, dementia Alzheimer's storyline in The Archers. He was diagnosed with it himself. Um, oh my God. And eventually went into care homes and they would go in and record 
in the care homes. So some of his final, you know, his final scenes, um, they would go in and uh, and record them uh, where he was. So yeah, that's it's um yeah, it's kind of a, a, an unfortunately horrible moment of life imitating art. Um, oh there. wow! But also look how how valuable still a human being is. You know, I think sometimes we we've got this idea that Alzheimer's dementia's dementia can. I think people who don't understand the, the diseases and don't maybe have the experience of it can yeah. get an impression that it's you're done, you know, mm. and and you're not there anymore. And actually look at the value that human beings still absolutely, of course, had even when mm. dealing with it um, and how much joy he still managed to bring people. That's amazing. Yeah. Totally. Uh, and on the other side in this episode. Uh, oh, oh. There's one thing I wanted to, so when I was researching, sorry, going back, yeah, no, one thing it. I did pick up when I was researching a little bit about Jack, mm. which I think is quite interesting, something we've been talking about. In 1993, so the man has had like quite a lot of heart attacks by this point, by the way. Um, mm. In 1993, he was in the village shop because he, I think he owned it, uh, getting the takings when two thugs with shotgun burst in. Jack passes out and it's Clive Horobin. So this storyline we mentioned last week, uh, Clive Horobin yes. yeah, yeah. and his accomplice Bruno prevented Betty, I don't know who Betty is, uh, from calling an ambulance. And once the thugs had left, Debbie called for an ambulance on Jack's mobile and Jack came out of hospital 60, six days later. But both Jack and Debbie suffered panic attacks for some time mm. after the raid. So I'm getting a little bit more sympathy for Jennifer. When she was realised that she was going to be related to a Horobin, mm. considering that Clive Horobin had nearly killed her stepfather and give, given her stepfather and her daughter panic attacks through his actions. You know, I'm still... I still believe that, you know, Jennifer Aldridge needs to work on her snobbery, but mm. I, I have a little bit more sympathy for her gut reaction. Yes. Yeah, no, I get, I get, I do get that. It's... Um... Mm. <laughs> interesting that's uh, that must be a dramatic <laughs> dramatic episode i can imagine and then the other thing in this episode i was going to say is just mm. that it's quite a nice one for kenton and david they're just having a ball aren't they they're having yeah. great fun they're just like kids again like oh we're gonna you know set up the bonfire yeah. set up some fireworks and we've been put in charge of the fireworks it's like two 12 year olds being <laughs> put, in, put in charge of a fireworks display it's quite sweet yeah it's <laughs> lovely but yeah like i say I, I think that what i really took away from this was yeah that kind of really lovely contrast between that public big public bonfire night event and the uh the really sweet finish of um peggy and jack kind of listening to mm. the watching the watching the fireworks uh from home really nice yeah well actually david and kenton both discuss memories of fireworks don't they and mm. they talk about oh when you were a kid and do you remember the tree called toffee and everyone bonfire night is quite a strangely nostalgic night because you really remember what it was like to be a child oh, and then to consider the other storyline in this episode being someone who's suffering from not being able to remember mm. um you know it's quite a nice I don't yeah. know, an artistic theme. Maybe they yeah. did that on purpose. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we would, you know, my, my, the, the great uncle I was talking about, I have memories of going to bonfire nights with him at, uh, you know, fam friends of the family. We'd always go around to theirs and there was a bonfire. We'd generally do the do the guy. We'd make the guy because we were sort of just down the road. So we'd kind of go walking along the road with the guy to, for the bonfire. And, uh, oh, wow. um, we'd all, and the, the soup. I remember the soup for some reason. There was always a soup in a cup. 
um, and sparklers <laughs> and stuff. But yeah, they're, they're such strong childhood memories, aren't they? Um, yeah. Events like this, um, including actually, if we were if we are now moving on to Thursday's episode, um, mm. the Christmas light switch on. Um, yeah, is another thing that kind of you know at our town our town used to kind of have a christmas light switch on all the all the shops would open late and they'd hand out free mulled wine and mince pies and things and uh, a really lovely community spirit and and similar uh, in ambridge as well yeah gosh did you, you just have the most idyllic childhood <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's well, so yeah what well, um Yes, I'm, I'm sure I've, I'm picking out the uh, the very best memories. Um, yeah, but, uh, that's true. That's true. But it does sound absolutely delightful. And here, you're right. We've got um, the, the they're doing these lights around the green. So where all the all the houses around the green will switch on their Christmas lights all at the same time, which I think is so delightful. And you're right, real really nice sort of community moment. Um, but it actually the main episode is about this issue with Brookfield so I missed this when it happened yes um, and I, I gathered from my research that basically there's a plan for a big old road to go through Ambridge um, right. which would really impact the life of the village the people in the village and Ambridge itself and I believe it might run the idea is that it might run through Brookfield mm. and so David and Ruth, much to the sort of um, annoyance of everybody else, are considering and have agreed to sell Brookfield. So it seems like a betrayal for the rest of the community that they are they are considering selling their farm. And then we realise that there's been a lot of interest in buying that. So Adam wanted to buy it. Mm. Um, and he starts out, the episode starts with him and Charlie, who we we know about later him and charlie have a big old fight about it and so mm. charlie works for damara who have actually sort of had the winning bid for brookfield and uh, and adam references a, a cozy lunch that they had but they come to blows here and they argue yeah. about the future of farms and farming and the land um and he he says to charlie you know damara will not be getting hold of home farm yeah it's a it's a an interesting, interesting little bit. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to level with you, Charlie. I struggle to keep track of which, which farm is which. So we've got Brookfield Farm, Home Farm. <laughs> I, now, I love the archers and I listen all the time, but the farms, for some reason, just don't go in my head. So David and Ruth want to sell Brookfield Farm. Mm-hmm. Present day, what is David mm-hmm. and Ruth's farm called? Still Brookfield. So the, right, okay. So something, so they does, it doesn't, the sale presumably doesn't actually go through. That's that, right. Eventually, right. Okay. they don't sell it. And in fact, that's right. quite an interesting point. That's what confused me. I was like, hang on a sec, <laughs> that is their farm. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. They don't actually sell it. I think they pull out eventually, right. which okay. I believe is then the beginning of a, a, a big phase of animosity between David and Kenton. Because whilst most of the village didn't want them to sell Brookfield oh. to Damara, because Damara have a vested interest in the road, so yeah. they would have blatantly just torn the place down. Um, actually, Kenton is annoyed because I think Kenton was counting on the money. I think the bull is in trouble. Right, um, okay. and, and when they sell Brookfield, it, the money would be split between the Archer children. That makes sense. Yeah. So then, because what I remember is coming into the Archers later and there being an issue with David and Kenton. So mm-hmm. I think this is where it begins. And yeah, you're right. They don't actually sell mm-hmm. Brookfield. Um, yeah. But it's also caused an issue. So Brian, as we know, 
is on the BL board. We know that because of the of the Grundies being kicked out of Grange Farm. Yes, sorry, yep, with you. Yes. Yep, with you so far, thank you. <laughs> and at the end of this episode, he says he's going to resign from the BL board because of all this stuff with Justin. It, ha- it turns out he'd wanted to, or Brian had also wanted to put a bud in, a bud in, excuse me. <laughs> Brian had also wanted to put a bid in for Brookfield, but mm. Justin hadn't told him that, that Damara was going to put a bid in, but had told most of the BL board. So Brian's right, yeah. pretty miffed. Yeah, he's really annoyed later on, isn't he? Mm, and it's causing a lot of unrest in the village. And then yeah. you've got, yeah, Brian Brian and Jennifer were home farm and sort of technically have yes. a farm, but they just don't have the house. Yeah. And then Bridge Farm. Bridge Farm Bridge is farm Tony and Pat. Tony and Pat, yes. Yep. And Helen and Tom. Lovely. I'm there. Grange I'm there. Farm, Grundies. Yeah, that they were renting at the time. Yeah. Great. Lovely. Um, so and then we had... <laughs> so, so yes, we hear we hear Charlie. So Charlie and Adam is this kind of mid affair, or they've kind of had an affair, and there's sort of stuff going on there with Charlie and Adam. There's all sorts going on in this episode. There's um, there's there's something going on with. Um, so Jennifer talks about the fact that Kate. So Kate at the moment is away in South Africa, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's talking about coming back for Christmas because she's worried about Phoebe. Now. Pass. I don't know what I don't know what she's worried about Phoebe about, um, um, but I think that I think that at this point Phoebe is sort of she Phoebe is being raised by Roy and Haley, Roy's mm-hmm. wife at the time, and effectively doesn't really know her mum. So perhaps it's that Kate is worried about the fact that Phoebe's sort of forgetting about her. I don't know, or whether there's something that's happened with Phoebe. I'm not sure. Well, oh, have you? Do you know? No, well, I don't know if it's now. I can't remember when it happened. Mm. But Roy and Haley work at Lower Loxley. Mm-hmm. But then Roy and Elizabeth have an affair. Yes, that's right. And yes. that causes the breakup of Roy and Haley's relationship. Now, I don't know if maybe that's been happening. And so that's why Kate's worried about Phoebe. Oh, perhaps so. Or, or mm. you're right. It could just be that Kate's feels bad because she's not with her daughter, but she's with children in south africa it's all quite yeah okay that makes sense yeah that's another thing that's going on then Mm. we've got there's a discussion about douglas harrington has has left the cast of season's greetings i mean this is clearly a key plot line for this (laughs) because we're we're clearly we're in christmas show territory um Mm. so there's this cast member that has been to to linda's um Linda's not particularly happy about it, but uh, has been brought into the the fold of the cast, and uh, mm. yeah, she's not not particularly convinced about that. So that's happening. Mm. Um, and then there's this stuff with number one on the green. Yes, number one on the green. So that is Will's house. Uh, Will Grundy. Does he own it, or does he have it because of the uh, because he's a What's it called? Oh, because of the shoot. I think number one on the green is his house. Okay, right, yeah. And then he gets a house because he's the ranger. Yes. Which he then lives in, but that's why he, that's why I think he usually rents out number one on the green. Aha, uh-huh, yes. That got you, yep. And um, they get there. Ed and Emma get there, and they're confused because they're like, well, nobody lives there at the moment, but, but Will has put the lights up. Mm. And then Emma's like, well, actually, George is going to switch on the lights. And Ed says, well, we need the keys. And Emma says, well, we have the keys because we are going to move in here as a family. So Will is letting them move in there, which Ed is quite, um, is a little bit suspicious of. He doesn't really know if this is okay because this is 
before they all started to be friends again. Because in this episode, oh, it's very beautiful, George. Mm. It all comes after, all of this must have come after Ed rescued Tony from Otto the Bull. And Emma talks yeah. about how wonderful Ed is and what a wonderful father he is. And so she proposes. Mm. She proposes. It's really, really lovely. And his reaction, yes, yes, I just run yes. back going, yes. It's amazing. It's really sweet. It's like a football match. He's like, yeah, goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After all these years, I've, I've got to. It's really, I, so I, I had a little bit of um, a look into kind of Ed and Emma's history. Um, mm-hmm. after this episode and so so I did I first I, I listened to the, the little clip on the arts website of the moment where Ed saves Tony from the bull um, oh wow not the bull but the bull that attacked him um, yes and it's, and it's, it's a great it's a it's a great little listen actually it's um, because oh, it, it's horrible to listen to because you can sort of hear the noise of the bull and, and sort of these kind of whimpers from Tony but um uh, Ed really takes control of the situation. It's a really like when they said that he'd saved him, he really did. He sort of was kind of telling everyone what to do. Um, Helen was panicking. Um, Johnny was sort of, as well, was of quite young at the time. So he mm. was panicking. So, um, but Ed effectively armed with, I think, a broom, picked up a broom and just sort of kind of got the bull away and and into the gate and and told johnny to close the gate behind them to keep the bull in there so it was a, it was kind of it was you know it's a real kind of he took control of the moment and, and, and absolutely saved the day so i can you can see why it's such a moment and we we've, we've talked about the fact that tom gave um gave uh, well, well, well everyone at um brookfield uh, farm, no. uh no no damn oh come on <laughs> Bridge farm. Everyone you at think of the bridge farm food bridge shop. Farm. Thank you. I'm with you. Everyone, help you. <laughs> this is, this is, everyone's going to be listening thinking, oh, he's such a fraud. I bet he doesn't even <laughs> listen to the archers. He's just pretending every week that he listens. Everyone at bridge farm has given given the um, uh, Emma and Ed the honeymoon um, because of this moment of Ed saving Tony. And it's really lovely. Um, mm. And I also, I also looked into, because she mentions the fact that uh, Ed saved her years ago. And I didn't have a clue what that was about. Um, and apparently that's... So, so Ed um, borrowed, I think without permission, uh, his parents' car or something to go and pick up Emma from a music festival. And on the way back, um, they sort of... They crashed because a deer came across the road and uh, where they hit the deer or veered off the road because of the deer. Um, and they mm. crashed and the, the car sort of burst into flames and Ed had to pull Emma out of this flaming car. Um, oh, so my I think, gosh! I think that's what um, Emma's referring to when she says, oh, you know, well, you saved me all those years ago as well. So, yeah, it was kind of quite interesting to look into just the history of these two and and, and, and what's led up to this, you know, proposal from Emma. It's really lovely that it comes from Emma as well. It's fantastic. Mm. Well, yeah, because I think he needs to know, considering the toing and froing from Emma during their relationship over all these years, mm. I think she knows she needs to tell him it's yes. not just her saying yes to his proposal. It's her doing mm. the proposing. I am into you. Um, yes. <laughs> I, do you know what I was thinking then as you were talking? So people who've listened to The Archers for a really long time often talk about characters like maybe Eddie Grundy or David and Ruth as the real, like, for them, proper and ambridge set of characters, um, people they they have always loved. And I think for maybe, maybe our generation who's come in I say generation, I mean just the people who started listening at around the same time that we did. Mm, 
I think for me, Ed Grundy is a sort of stalwart character of of yeah. the Archers and Ambridge, and he will forever be a sort of hero. And it's funny yeah. because if you listened before, like my auntie did, she said, "Oh no, he used to be an absolute terror, but now yeah. he's a he's a bit of a sort of good old staple of Ambridge, isn't he?" Yeah, we've seen him on his ups and downs as well. I think that that mm. kind of that that's what brings you to the characters, and that's what people love about the Ambridge characters uh, overall. It's just kind of going with them on those those journeys, their lives as they sort of go mm. through these, you know, peaks and troughs of. Uh, of of real life, um, mm. and yeah, I, I feel like we've done that with Ed. Um, yeah, he's human. Yeah. He's a human. Yeah. He's not like perfect, and that's why I think we can all relate to him a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. A lovely way to finish the week. Yeah, absolutely. A little clear up from last week. Um, you were right, George. Clary did used to be played by someone else. She uh-huh. was originally played by Rosalind Adams, but now she's played by Heather Bell, both of which oh. are wonderful. And there then a go. final thing I want to say is happy birthday, George. Hooray! <laughs> so Thank listeners, you. we are recording on a Friday today. We normally mm. record on a Saturday, but um, we're not because it's George's birthday tomorrow, which if you're yeah. listening to this is at least yesterday because this won't yes. come out until <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but George, I just want to wish you a very, very happy birthday. Oh, so I hope you have Charlie. a really nice day. Have you yeah. got anything nice planned? Yeah, well, I think we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna say a kind of a socially distant hello to my mum. We're gonna go and meet in the mm. park um, up the road from me, and then uh, my wife Katie and I are gonna go for a walk somewhere. I think um, in the Chilterns, take a picnic. Now that we're allowed to do that, um, and then possibly a little barbecue in the garden in the evening. So we'll see. Forecast is nice, so but not too hot. So, that, so yeah, yeah, really looking forward to it. Thank you. Um, and I hope you have a lovely weekend as well. Oh, thank you. I was going to say your birthday plans sound very Ambridge. Yes, very they do rather, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should do something a bit more wild. Maybe I'll, <laughs> no, <don't> <laughs> you do whatever you want to. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll start some sort of illegal lamb breeding programme or something as well. Just keep it properly <laughs> Ambridge. all right well uh, i can't wait to hear about all of that next week and we'll be listening to the the latest episodes thank you all so much for listening to this week's episodes we hope you've had a good week um stay safe look after yourselves and we'll be back next week for some more arches and tea bye bye (laughs) it wasn't my best there were so many weeks in there